Last week, we introduced the Sermon on the Mount, and we, again, began these Beatitudes, and we looked at them from more so around 30,000 feet. And it's important for us to begin here this morning to briefly review what we covered last week, because last week, we basically prepared ourselves to rightly understand and apply Jesus' teachings here, especially because Jesus' teachings are so often misunderstood and misapplied. And so as a quick recap of last week, remember we had one main point about the Sermon on the Mount last week, and then we had three quick points about these Beatitudes. And so, so first, concerning the Sermon on the Mount, remember we talked about how the main lens through which to rightly read and apply Jesus' teachings here is that this is the king, and he's talking about his kingdom, and he's mainly talking to those in his kingdom. Again, this is the king, the savior king, and he's talking about and especially to those in his kingdom. And listen to the first half of last week's message for more on that. But seeing Jesus' teachings that way is crucial because that means that Jesus doesn't teach any of this so that we can rule ourselves or so that we can save ourselves. Because remember, Jesus knows he's the king and he knows he's the savior. And so rather, Jesus is teaching all this because this is just what his kingdom is like. And because for those of us who are saved by the king and who are in the kingdom, we therefore want to follow our king like this. And so that's how we should read the Sermon on the Mount as a whole. But then what about these Beatitudes? Well, again, last week we quickly saw three overarching things about these Beatitudes. Three overarching things. Number one, remember we talked a lot about that word blessed. Blessed. Which amazingly is the first word out of Jesus' mouth in this whole sermon. And it's the first word, obviously, of each of these Beatitudes. And as for this word, we saw that in the Greek it has really two aspects to it. Two aspects. First is an objective, outside-of-us aspect. Meaning, the blessed person is genuinely approved of by God. And then second, though, it also has a subjective feelings aspect. Which is why this word could be translated even as happy. Which shows us that Jesus is talking about true happiness here as well. And so that's the first thing we saw last week. And quickly, remember, that really matters for you and me because that means that these Beatitudes here from Jesus are not him starting off his message mainly as, here's attitudes you should be like. As again, that is simply a misleading pun from the English. Rather, we call these beatitudes because it, gets, it comes from the Latin word beatus, which is just the word for blessed. But even more so, we call them that because Jesus is really starting off his message declaring, here's those truly blessed and happy in my kingdom. But anyway, so that was the first thing on the beatitude. And then number two, last week, we also talked about how if this is true blessedness and happiness... Jesus often reverses, right, what we'd normally expect. These are counterintuitive at times, which in brief does show us that we do need to listen to Jesus, to our king, about true blessedness and happiness. We can't just follow our own hearts or follow the way of the world. Which then, number three, and finally from last week, led us to spend some time on how these Beatitudes are structured, right, how they each work. And this is quite important because there, remember we said that technically what Jesus is saying in each of these beatitudes is he's not saying that being like these things earns anything. 
Rather, how each beatitude works is it's blessed are these sorts of people because they will inherit these promises. But Jesus never says that they earn these promises. It's just that they receive the promises. And that said, now leading us into this week, that, that third and last point is something that we need to constantly keep in mind as we now turn to cover these in more detail. Because the truth is, we so often want to make things in religion or things with God about merit. We, we just tend to think that, for example, that idea of blessed are the poor in spirit because theirs in the kingdom, we just tend to hear that and assume that Jesus means being poor in spirit merits or earns or makes you deserve the kingdom. But notice, Jesus never says that. Rather, for each beatitude, the second half aren't things we earn, but they're simply promises from our king to those in his kingdom. And so all that was last week. And knowing all that, it now allows us to dive more deeply into these beatitudes this week. And, and now in order for, to do that, uh, in terms of our outline together this morning, we're just going to have two main sections, two main sections, and then a pretty important conclusion to end. And so two sections and then a conclusion. And as for what we'll see, first we will dive in and we'll begin by looking at how these list of characteristics connect to one another. How they connect to one another. Or to say it another way, in our first section we'll see why Jesus said the things he said and in the order he said them. Which then second though, in our second section will finally lead us to go through each beatitude one by one. And so those will be our two main sections, which then finally, though, will lead us to conclude by talking about how these Beatitudes relate to Jesus himself and to the gospel. How they relate to Jesus and the gospel, and there we'll actually talk about Palm Sunday as well. And so in summary, two main sections and a conclusion. First, how these Beatitudes connect to one another. Second, we'll go through them one by one. And then as we close, we'll talk about how this all relates to Jesus, the gospel, and even Palm Sunday. But all that said, brothers and sisters, let's then dive in to these Beatitudes together. And here again in our first section, we're just seeing how these characteristics that Jesus lists relate to one another. And for this, let me just say uh, from the outset that here this might seem at first a little heady or technical, but, but trust me, seeing this really is so helpful in understanding what Jesus is even saying here and how it applies to you and me. It really is. And so to see this, now look down at your Bibles, look down at your Bibles and just look at these Beatitudes in verses 3 through 12. And, and keep your eyes on the Bible. Let me just show you the structure of what Jesus is doing here, the order and connectedness of what he's doing. And so on that, the first thing to notice is that actually these Beatitudes all center around one Beatitude. They all revolve around one central Beatitude. And that's actually verse 6. Verse 6, which says this. Look down your Bibles, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And now, as for why that's the central beatitude, in basic, just notice, here Jesus is talking about those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And, and righteousness is an important word. And it could be translated in many different ways, but in basic, it means aligning yourself with what's true and good and beautiful and right. And specifically, it means aligning yourself with the righteous one, right? The King Jesus. And I do think that saying it that way, aligning ourselves, is better than just saying that we do right. 
Because to be clear, righteousness, I hope you know, isn't just doing the right thing. Although, of course, that is included. But it also means feeling rightly, living what's beautiful, honoring what's true and good, loving God and others, striving for God's glory and gospel and more. That is all righteousness. And therefore, being hungry and thirsty for righteousness is the central beatitude because that's the most general one and because it really encapsulates everything else. And we'll talk about that more as we go. But anyways, moving on. So that's the central beatitude. And then what happens is notice that being true, then there's beatitudes which lead up to that and which flow from that. And you can see that because first, looking at your Bibles, concerning those first three Beatitudes, they essentially lead up to verse 6. And specifically, those are more about what hunger and thirst for righteousness produces inside of us. Being poor in spirit, mourning our unrighteousness and meekness. And so those build up to hunger and thirsting for righteousness. And then in a symmetrical sort of way, Then after verse 6, verses 7 through 9 are three beatitudes which all flow out from being hungry and thirsty for righteousness. And these are more things we just pursue as we live our lives, right? Being merciful to others, being more pure in spirit, and being a peacemaker. And now more could be said on that, but I hope you do see that that's the basic structure. The center is really hungering and thirsting for righteousness, feeling right actions, doing right actions, in line with our righteous king, for the glory of God, for our good, and the good of the world. And what does that look like? Well, internally, it's being poor in spirit, mourning our sin and meekness. And then in our lives, it's being merciful and pure in heart and seeking to make peace whenever we can. And then finally, on what Jesus is doing here, that all being the structure is actually confirmed then by those last two Beatitudes and how Jesus ends in verses 10 through 12. Because now look down at verses 10 through 12. So verses 3 through 9 are about hunger and thirst for righteousness and what that produces internally and in our lives. Then what does Jesus add in verses 10 through 12? We'll look at just verse 10 for now to see it. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted For righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so if you're tracking, notice that same word righteousness is here again in verse 10. And so think about it. Verses 3 through 9 are someone in Jesus' kingdom hungry and thirsty for righteousness and what it looks like internally and in their lives. And yet what often still happens? Well, even when we're trying to live according to Jesus' kingdom, seeking righteousness still we're often persecuted exactly for that type of living. For righteousness sake. That's Jesus' point in verse 10. And that's then expanded on in verses 11 and 12. But there it's interesting. Notice Jesus doesn't say we're persecuted for righteousness sake again. But instead, at the end of verse 11, he says that you're persecuted on my account. Which is, as we'll talk about later, but finally on the structure that then does show us that yes, all this, just so you know, does center on being hungry and thirsty in Jesus' kingdom for righteousness. But what is righteousness? Well, in Jesus' mind, it isn't some abstract morality. Instead, it's ultimately about following and aligning ourselves with him. Which is why if we're persecuted for righteousness sake, he can also say that we're persecuted on his account. But anyways, I know it was a lot, but that's our first section and how all of these connect to one another. 
And in many ways, I, I, I hope, I know again that was a lot, but I do hope you see it. And the reason though that this is so helpful then in understanding these beatitudes and applying them to our lives is that again, that then clearly shows us that the center of this long list of virtues that we can get lost in, the center of really what Jesus is saying about true blessedness is therefore being hungry and thirsty for righteousness. And that's fascinating because it then means that the center of all this is a desire. A desire explained in those two words of hunger and thirst. A hunger and thirst for righteousness. Or to say it another way, this means, to be clear, that in Jesus' kingdom, what defines his people who he has saved and brought into his kingdom is they genuinely want righteousness. Meaning, we, we want to do the right thing, amen, but also, again, we want to feel rightly about ourselves and our sin. We want to rightly see ourselves, which will make us humble and meek. We want to rightly be compassionate and merciful and loving towards others. We want to rightly be pure in our hearts. We want to rightly make peace. Right? All like Jesus. And again, we do all that not to earn our way into the kingdom, but because we're in the kingdom. And we want to follow Jesus our King. And so that's the structure and the center of these Beatitudes here in verse 6. But there's one last thing we need to see here before we move on. Just one last thing. And that's now noticing the second half of verse 6. The second half. And this is the promise that Jesus gives there. And I love this. Because just think about it. If that's the center, what we just talked about. If those are those blessed in Jesus' kingdom. If the center of this is people who genuinely love Jesus and want righteousness. Right? We want it in our hearts. Even with all our sin. We want Jesus' righteousness in this world. If that's true, then what's the promise that Jesus gives that corresponds to that? What's his promise that we don't earn, remember, but which corresponds to our hunger and thirst for righteousness? Verse 6 again, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. <laughs> and that is a stunning statement by Jesus. Because just consider what it means. It means as Christians, again, we love our king. And yes, we know our sin and we know how broken and sinful we are. But man, we really do want to follow Jesus more. And we want the world to follow Jesus more. We want Jesus' kingdom here. And yet, again, for now, his kingdom isn't fully here. We don't love and follow Jesus as we should. Neither does the world. And even sometimes when we try to follow Jesus like we should, we are persecuted for it. All because that's where we are now. We live in a fallen world with fallen bodies, with fallen hearts, even as we hunger, in a sense, for Jesus' ways. And so that's us. But what's then the promise concerning all of that to people like us? Well, again, from Jesus our King, it is that, yes, that's us now. Yes, that's our hearts now. That's how we feel about the world now. But the promise is, again, see it for yourself, that one day that will all change. <laughs> One day, that hunger and thirst we have for righteousness for ourselves and that hunger and thirst we have for righteousness for our world and for our universe, it will be satisfied. <laughs> and why? Well, because Jesus is going to come back. And when he does, he will make everything good and beautiful and right again. <laughs> And then righteousness will reign and we will be satisfied. That's what our king promises here. And he does so even in the very center of these beatitudes. 
And so that's our first section, church, which now leads us to our second, where we'll go through each of these Beatitudes. And we obviously don't have time to go that much detail into each one of them, but it'll be good for us now to go one by one and just understand what Jesus is saying to us. And so that said, let's now dive in together. Let's dive in together. And we'll start with just the first in verse three. And remember, verses three through five are more internal qualities that connect to our hunger for righteousness. And in verse three, Jesus says this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So on this terminology of poor in spirit, the idea here is that this is talking about us knowing our inner bankruptcy. Knowing that we really don't have anything to offer God apart from his grace. And this terminology isn't something that Jesus made up out of nowhere. Instead, this kind of talk occurs in the Old Testament as well. For example, Psalm 34, 18 says this, quote, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. And other texts are similar, but not at all. The point is, there's a blessedness. There's a unique happiness in knowing that we don't have anything to offer God on our own. (laughs) And so that's the characteristic here. But what's on the promise? And remember, this promise isn't what you earn by being poor in spirit. Instead, it just corresponds to the characteristic or even motivates us to be more like the characteristic. So what's the promise? Well, the poor in spirit, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that shows us that very clearly then, Jesus right away says that his kingdom is not for those who think they can earn their way in. It isn't for those who think that they're rich in spirit or rich in their morality and what they can offer to God. Instead, it is very clear for those they have nothing to offer. They and they alone have the kingdom. So that's the first beatitude. Leads to the second, which is related actually to the first. And I'll look down at what Jesus says in verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So again, this is almost like an oxymoron from Jesus because he says very clearly, it is the sad people who are actually happy. <laughs> but, what, but what does he mean? Well, he's talking about how our hunger and thirst for righteousness leads us to mourn our unrighteousness. And not only that, but it, makes us, uh, it just makes us mourn in general that we're in a world that isn't right in so many ways. All right, so that's the characteristic. But what's then the promise that corresponds to it? Well, it's that we will be comforted. And really taking those first two beatitudes together, I hope you know this is Christianity 101. We, we know we're poor in spirit. We know we have sin and we mourn our sin in our hearts and we mourn just so much about our world. But what's the promise from Jesus connected to those things? Well, again, first is that the poor in spirit have the kingdom. And then second, it's that we in God are comforted now. We are forgiven now. And it's that one day we will be comforted more than we can even fathom. Which finally on these first three Beatitudes leads to verse 5. So look there now, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So this beatitude from Jesus is actually Jesus just taking an Old Testament verse and making it into a, a statement of blessedness because Psalm 37:11 says this, quote, the meek shall inherit the land. And so what Jesus does is first he says that meekness therefore is blessed. And as for that word meek, it essentially means being humble and, and gentle, not sinfully self-assertive in how you handle others, all like Jesus was. And so first Jesus talks about meekness, but then second, that then leads Jesus to give the promise that corresponds to that. And that's how the meek will inherit 
the earth. Which, which is amazing because, again, this is, this is basically another oxymoron because who conquers lands in the here and now and in earthly kingdoms? Well, it's the self-confident, the self-assertive. But forever, Jesus says, it's actually the meek who are in Jesus and in his kingdom who will inherit the entire earth. And, and so that's the first three internal characteristics. Which then, continuing on, leads, of course, to verse 6 about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. But since we already covered that in more detail, we'll now move past now, that now and flow, to look at the three that flow from that in verses 7 through 9. And so as we continue on now on these, first look at verse 7. Jesus says this, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And so again, this is an important one where we need to know very clearly that Jesus is not saying that you need to be merciful enough to make sure that God will be merciful to you. Instead, he's just saying those who are merciful are blessed because they know that they receive mercy from God. And as for what merciful even means, well, mercy, as you might know, is one of the main characteristics from God and his love towards sinners like you and me. And what it essentially means is it's God seeing us in our suffering. In our suffering that we often even inflict upon ourselves. And mercy is God coming and treating us with compassion. And way better than we could ever deserve. And the point here then is that in Jesus' kingdom, as we hunger for righteousness, we should seek to be merciful toward others. Just like God is so merciful toward us. Which then leads to the next beatitude in verse 8. And if mercy is more of an outward action, this is now more of an inward for ourselves. Continuing on verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And now as for this idea of pure in heart, we need to know that purity in the Bible has, a, has this idea of not being stained by things of the world and not being divided in your heart. And now that certainly does include realities like sexual purity, as that is a main stain in our world and divides our hearts. But this word also does clearly include other things that can stain us and divide us in our lives as well. And so the point is, as those hungry and thirsty for righteousness, we just want our hearts to be less contaminated and more pure in every single way, like Jesus. And so that's the pure in heart. But what's in the promise that corresponds to that? Again, not what we earn, but what Jesus promises. Well, it's that the pure in heart shall see God. And now that is an incredible promise. In fact, you could argue that that is the greatest promise of all of these here because it's therefore not just according to Jesus that will be in his kingdom or that will just be comforted or satisfied but perhaps most specifically all that will come to pass because we will behold God himself Jesus says we will see God I mean it's amazing and and now as to why that corresponds to purity well because think about it church knowing we will see God because of the gospel in the future, knowing that's true, it will stir us to strive to be more pure today. Which finally, on the third beatitude here that flowings from hungering and righteousness leads us to verse 9. So look down at verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And now on this again, and I know we keep saying this, but again, it is not that you need to be good enough peacemaker to be a child of God. That be against the gospel, that is not the gospel of Jesus. Instead, what is true here is that there's a characteristic of those who are in Jesus' kingdom. 
And it's that we are people who want to make peace whenever we can. We want to bring God's shalom, to use the Old Testament word, God's peace, just like Jesus who is the Prince of Peace. All right, so that's the characteristic of what's then the promise that corresponds to that. Well, we should do that because we will, I hope you know, be called children of God, sons of God. And now in terms of the future tense on that, in case you're concerned about that, that does not mean that we aren't children now. We are in Jesus. But instead, the picture here is that in the future, we should know that God himself will declare to us and to the whole world that we are his children. And therefore, the point is, if we are now and if we will forever be children of this peacemaking, shalom-creating God, then in our lives, we should want to be peacemakers as well. And so that's the main characteristics that Jesus right lists in these Beatitudes. And in essence, all of that is hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And yet again, Jesus doesn't even stop there, but that finally, keep up with us, I know this is a lot, leads to verses 10 through 12. And again, these being here shows us that even if we strive for all of those good things, and even if we were perfectly righteous, although we're not, these final verses show us that we, living in Jesus' kingdom, it does not mean that all will be easy or peaceful for us. Rather, Jesus ends with these, verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So again, notice, as we talked about earlier, being persecuted for righteousness' sake is the same as being treated falsely on Jesus' account. And Jesus says this persecution, this reviling, really can happen in, quote, all kinds of evil ways. All kinds. For example, right, we, we should know that this sort of persecution is right now happening all over the world, happening in gruesome and horrendous ways to some of our brothers and sisters in the faith. They are being persecuted for righteousness' sake on Jesus' account. And we did even see this past week that this can happen even in America as well in awful and tragic ways. And so all kinds of evil does mean larger and nasty and more obvious ways, but then also that all kinds of evil can happen in smaller ways in our lives as well. Just being disliked by our families or mocked by our co-workers or disowned by certain friends, all because we're just genuinely trying to follow Jesus. And so that's what Jesus is talking about here. But what's in the promise that corresponds to that? Well, it's twofold. First, in verse 10, again, it's that ours is the kingdom. And then second, Jesus adds to verse, that in verse 12, that our reward is great in heaven. And taking those two promises together, what Jesus is basically saying is, even if you're persecuted, it ultimately will be okay because you have the kingdom and because in my kingdom there is more reward in the future to come than you can fathom. And so brothers and sisters, that's these beatitudes. That's these blessed are statements and the promises that Jesus says that corresponds to them. Which I'll finally on these verses here brings us to one final statement that we haven't talked about that Jesus says that we can't overlook. Just one final statement. And so that's these Beatitudes. And all of that being the case is why Jesus himself adds one final thing here. One more type of verb even. And it's the beginning of one of these verses. And it's really important and applicable 
that we all see this. Because think about it. As for all these verses in verses 3 through 11, you can see it. They all start with blessed are, blessed are. And so importantly, in all these verses, just follow me, Jesus technically is just giving statements about what's true. You notice that? Jesus technically and grammatically, if you will, he's not giving any commands. And he do this. Instead, all of verses 3 through 11, Jesus is technically just declaring, these are the people who are blessed and happy. But then, it's interesting, notice in verse 11, that changes a bit as Jesus begins with, blessed are you, which is interesting. But even then, that's still just a statement about what's true. But then, that finally changes in verse 12. Because there, our king goes from declaration to a command. Our Jesus finally goes from just saying what's true to telling us what to do. And what does he say? Well, look at verse 12. This is the first command from Jesus in the whole Sermon on the Mount. And what does he say? The beginning of verse 12, quote, Rejoice and be glad. <laughs> you see that? And in the immediate context, in, verse 10 through, in verses 10 through 12, obviously that's a command to rejoice and be glad even in the midst of persecution. Since you have a reward and since we're in line with the prophets, the righteous prophets before us. But then also I do think that that rejoice and be glad emphatic command in a way does apply to all of these beatitudes. Because think about it. If, if this is all true, if these are the people who are blessed and happy, and if it's true that by Jesus' grace alone, those of us who are saved are in his kingdom, and then if it's true that these promises from Jesus will come to fruition, then what's the only proper response? Well, it's not mainly now go and do better. Right? I mean, yes, there's a sense that that's good. Amen. But first and foremost, our response is to believe all these things and therefore to rejoice and be glad. And again, that is the only command in all of verses 3 through 12. It really is. Everything else is a statement about what's true. And so yes, let's take these beatitudes and try to be more like these characteristics. In particular, let me say, if the Spirit of God this morning who inspired these words pricked you with one of those things this morning, then please follow his leading and go and apply this to whatever that is in your life. And so yes, let's all do that. But again, apparently from Jesus himself, he wants us to hear these things and he wants us to rejoice and be glad in him. He wants us to gladly with our hearts receive all of this because that's true faith. Because that's really embracing Jesus and because it's then and only then that we'll go and live accordingly as his blessed and happy and glad disciples in his world even in the midst of hardship. And so that's our passage church. That's how all these connect. That's each beatitude more specifically which finally as we said earlier, leads us now to conclude by talking about how this all relates to Jesus and the gospel and even to Palm Sunday. And I want to end this way because I think it's totally providential that we covered these beatitudes in detail here on Palm Sunday. Totally providential. It's actually fascinating. And I'll just be honest, I did not plan for this. And I say this because, okay, so we've now spent two weeks in these Beatitudes and hopefully we now see that this is our king talking about true blessedness and how we have true happiness in his kingdom. And yet we need to know that that word bless then from here on out in Jesus' teachings and really in the whole Gospel of Matthew, it isn't actually that common of a word. 
It is, and it shows up a few times in kind of big ways scattered throughout, but it isn't that common of a word. But then, it does come up in a climactic way in Matthew 21. Matthew 21, when Jesus, or excuse me, when Matthew is describing Palm Sunday. <laughs> because as for what's happening on Palm Sunday, Matthew chapter 21, this is, in this account, Jesus is entering Jerusalem. And the crowds, amazingly, in a way, they recognize to some degree who Jesus is. As he's coming on that donkey to fulfill that prophecy, prophecy from Zechariah about the coming king. And so entering in is the king. He's coming into his city. And in that context, what do they famously cry out about Jesus? Well, listen to this, Matthew 21, 9. And notice how this relates to the blessed Beatitudes. Matthew 21, 9, quote, And the crowds that went before Jesus and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Man, I love that because just think about that then. So we've talked a lot about blessedness in the, these Beatitudes. We've seen Jesus himself talk a lot about it. And yet, even in this book of Matthew, who is the ultimate blessed one? Or better yet, who is the one who perfectly does not only hunger for righteousness, but fulfills all righteousness? Who is the one who above all was unjustly persecuted for righteousness sake? Of course, Jesus. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And in fact, scholars will even point out that for the majority of these characteristics in the Beatitudes, Matthew in his book is very careful to use these same exact words at some point to describe Jesus. To describe Jesus. And so that's these Beatitudes in Palm Sunday. But then how does that relate to the gospel? To you and me? But we'll think about it. If that's Jesus, if Jesus is the one who alone truly hungers for and fulfills all righteousness and is deservedly blessed, then what's the gospel? What's the good news? Well, it's that the king who alone is deservedly blessed, it's that he apparently does what's needed to be done to get people into his kingdom. And then once they're in his kingdom, he shares his own blessedness with his people. Blessed are these people who are in my kingdom. Blessed are you. And really that is the essence of the gospel. And that's then how these beatitudes relate to Jesus and the gospel. Because one last time, I really do hope that we all now see that these beatitudes are not things we need to now go do good enough to be okay with God. Nor are they mainly commands because they aren't. Instead, they're mainly the king declaring to his people that his people are truly and forever blessed. And so that being the case, the question then is though for each of us, but how is that possible? How can we be blessed like this? I mean, why do we get these promises? Where does our blessedness and approval from God and our happiness come from? And the answer really is Jesus our blessedness in the kingdom is the king's blessedness shared with us. <laughs> and brothers and sisters, that is the gospel because the gospel is that we cannot earn or merit or deserve our own blessedness. Rather, it's that we, by grace alone, through faith in Jesus alone, because of what Jesus did in his life, death, and resurrection alone, we're blessed in the king himself. And that means, just a couple more minutes we'll done, it means that to really bring this home and to now finally take this one step further, it means, church, that the gospel of Jesus then and Christianity then, just think about it, it isn't that we only trust in Jesus to save us from hell. 
or that we only trust in Jesus to have our sins forgiven, or we only trust in Jesus to get entrance into heaven. Now those are absolutely all true, but man, I hope you know that while those are gospel realities and they are sweet, Christianity is so much more than those things. And even the Beatitudes shows us that. Or to say it another way, if you are here and you just kind of tend to think that Christianity is mainly about morality or avoiding hell or just having our sins forgiven, then honestly, you need to know you're missing a lot of it. Because even more so, what is Christianity? Well, above all, Christianity is about us being restored back to a relationship with God, with our Savior and King Jesus, and all that that entails. Which means our faith isn't just about being forgiven and avoiding hell, but it's about really knowing Jesus and therefore being blessed in the only blessed one. Well, finally, to use the Beatitudes, our faith, our trust in Jesus is about struggling with righteousness now, yes, but also one day knowing we will be totally satisfied as we live here with Jesus in the new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells. Our trust in Jesus is about how God will change all of this and how amazingly we will inherit the renewed earth in Christ. Our trust in Jesus is about how we will forever not receive what we deserve from God, but mercy. Our trust in Jesus is about how those of us who mourn now for so many way, in so many ways for so many things, it's about how we will one day be comforted. Our trust in Jesus is about how we're now and we will forever be beloved, dear children of God. And above all, our trust in Jesus is about how one day we will see and live with God. And the point is, brothers and sisters, we get all that. We get true blessedness and happiness only because we're in the blessed one, Jesus. Or to say one last way, church, truly, blessed is he who came in the name of the Lord. And remember, he came for us. Also that in him we can be truly blessed and happy in his kingdom. Now and literally forever. Amen. Let's pray church. Let's pray.